Welcome back to the podcast, the new first voice, the new world's voice in the neurodivergent community, in the neurodivergent community. So back to, so welcome back Neurosquadcasters to the podcast that gives you a glimpse into the minds of neurodivergence in an exploration of what neurodivergence is, a features like Stimfight Sokies, Neurodivergency app and S ask artistically Aaron, which you can use the hashtag on social medias to get involved and ask me any questions. You also got the Neuro News Desk, a feature where I'll be bringing you a list of different new news within the Neurodivergency community each episode on this podcast. I said bringing you a podcast that can explore neurodivergent culture and what that is and neurodivergent issues. So far in this series, I've had the pleasure of talking to Salom Sophie Lavender, who's had a birthday recently, and happy birthday to her. And she was behind the new design of our logo, the new first look of new day, new, new, the new cast podcast, even. I've also published an episode which introduced me as the host of the podcast. And also, I've had the delight of being able to chat to on Zoom, Sarah Boone over Zoom. We've had we had a chat about her diagnosis with autism and ADHD. I'll talk to her about self-diagnosis and why she wanted to get a diagnosis herself and what that people might notice that they won't typically think of as traits of autism and ADHD. Those episodes of the podcast you can listen back to now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts and all good podcast platforms like the one you're listening to this podcast on right now. In this podcast, like last week, you'll be able to hear my new feature, Stimpied Showcase, like Last week, you heard in that feature from Lorraine from Chewy Gem, a company specialising in chewable stim and sensory aids. In Stimpide Showcase, it is a feature where I'll give a platform to businesses providing uh, a, a service for neurodivergence with stim and sensory aids, which can I'm also looking to record an episode on ADHD since it's ADHD Awareness Month. With all of this to come, please do subscribe wherever you listen to this podcast so you can find this podcast in your podcast feed. And do get in touch at uh, news at gmail.com if you want to get involved by sending a question or comment, you can send us a audio recording for your retransfer. If you want to do that, 
to feature on the coming episodes of this podcast, please do get in touch by email if you want to be involved somewhere in this podcast. Also, I'll be trying to do this month more in the blog series that you can find in like the daily series as I've been trying to post on, as well as been trying to like put them around to doing transcripts of this podcast, giving some scribes notes of what I have discussed on this podcast and what our guests have talked about, as well as some different issues I'm going to talk about on there. So you can find on WordPress and and more at ndnews on Twitter, which is the same on Instagram. So you can find Nero News on those social media platforms. But back to the headline interview, which in this episode is with Krista Holmans, someone was, as I was saying, I would want to thank Krista Holmans for taking time out of their schedule to record this interview with me. Their Twitter account has clocked up over 26 plus thousand followers. I started by asking them about what gender fluidity and gender identity means for them. Press recording button, I've got no spear. So I thought since this episode is on gender identity and expression, as you said and opened up recently, that you, you identify as gender fluid yourself. So I just want to know what, what does gender and gender fluidity mean for you? Yeah, so I think I'll start with like one of those formal definitions, right, that's commonly accepted. Um, So gender fluid is an identity that is under the trans and non-binary umbrella. So a gender fluid person would typically be a person who does not identify themselves as having a fixed gender. Uh, And so, you know, I'm assigned female at birth and I grew up not having, um, even knowing the labels of, you know, non-binary or gender fluid. Uh, the closest thing I thought I'd ever heard of was a tomboy. It was like the only thing I knew of in relation to gender growing up. I didn't uh, know other people who were gender diverse. I knew, you know, trans uh, people, but they were, you know, very either trans masculine or trans feminine. They weren't anywhere in the middle uh, like I was. And I didn't have anyone like me to look at uh, growing up and for many years until even finding the internet. Um, And, you know, I just never really felt like a, this is weird to say, like a real girl. Like I've always felt like I fall somewhere in the middle, not necessarily a girl, not necessarily a boy, uh, but it's kind of like a sliding scale sometimes where I feel like I fit between the two. And, you know, I, it's, I think it's important to meet someone who is you know like you and to see that there are other people like you out there Uh, and I haven't known a lot of people who really fluctuate like I do until recently and you know when I say you know my gender is not fixed you know I can go through periods of being you know feeling more masculine and periods of feeling more feminine 
and there are even days when I have this horrible discomfort just existing in my own body or that I have a body or, um, you know, I just can't even stand looking at myself in the mirror or the camera on some days. Uh, and then there are other days where I look in the mirror and have fun with the body I was born in and I'm happy about it. And these changes and shifts can happen gradually, you know, lasting weeks or months, but they can also happen more quickly. And I personally find that these switches are often influenced or triggered by external factors for me, you know, songs and the types of tasks I'm doing. And even my romantic partners can have an impact on that, uh, the way the energy just kind of balances and changes. Yeah, that seems totally fair, you know what I mean? Because yeah, I guess it's like probably like from a young age, you know, like not so where you fit into the traditional gender boxes and you know, like probably I guess you never really thought, felt entirely feminine but not entirely masculine and it's just like um I guess probably for you it's like riding along those waves. So like at times you are like an internal switch starts changing a bit. So I guess it can feel quite liberating, but times quite challenging. So, okay, what do you mean by that? Yeah, um, and you know, it's it's interesting too because it, you know I, I want to make sure I mention that you know the the way it's very much driven by an internal feeling. Uh, people experience me externally. You know, they experience how I am presenting myself to the world. Uh, and how I, you know, they like stereotypical dress and clothing and can sometimes make assumptions like, oh, you're wearing this, you know, you must, this must be your gender or, and, uh, you know, I want to say that some, the out external expression doesn't always even necessarily match the internal presentation uh, because, you know, I'm very aware too, uh, unfortunately throughout my life that, you know, when I dress in a way that is more typically pleasing to society, like people are nicer to me, you know, it's, it's unfortunate. So it's like, sometimes like if I just don't want to deal with BS, like I'll just dress how I feel like I'm supposed to dress so I can just like blend in and be left alone. And that doesn't necessarily mean that's how I'm feeling on the inside. I may actually hate myself on the inside every time I walk by a mirror, but it's just like, I just don't want to deal with society today, you know? So uh, it, it's, it's complicated. Hang on, just going to think some all oh, right, pause for a sec. Oh, some bit of audio came on, right? It's, so I, get, I understand what you mean because, like, I guess almost maybe it's like sort of like, I guess, like a masking feeling, I guess, because sometimes, I guess, like, I know what you mean, it's like the in, internal you doesn't always match up to, like, what you, like, sometimes what you meant to externally output to, to others, but sometimes guess you have the feeling the need of like can't guess camouflage in your gender guess is it is that fair enough to say yeah no totally and you know i think what's interesting specifically about being an autistic or neurodivergent person who is also yeah. gender you know it just it has any anything that's not you know the gender norm and this question their gender or is gender non-conforming or transgender is that for me i was masking before i knew i was autistic 
and I was masking a lot and I had learned to mask and put pieces away of myself that society had deemed socially unacceptable. And for me, like now that I'm really openly talking more about these things that have kind of just been, I've just been keeping to myself for a lot of years, uh, it's hard for me to even see where the autistic mask and the masking of my gender because they're connected. It's like a continuum. Because like I've, I was masking as an autistic person. I was trained to mask kind of by society, but at the same time, dressing in a way that's appropriate for my gender and acting in a way that is appropriate for my gender were pressed on to me similarly to how acting in a way that is appropriately neurotypical was pressed on me. So I, I think it has a lot of maybe it, or is a good explanation for why uh, people like me might not even come out and talk about gender issues until much later in life because we're masking those things just like we are masking other things you know i especially at times in my life would overdo hyper hyper femininity because i felt like that was what made me a girl is if i like knew how to do girl things and dress the girl way and walk the girl talk and act the girl like act how I thought and, and that's what's even toxic about it too it's like you know I have this toxic idea of what it means to be a woman um or this toxic idea of even you know what toxic masculinity like all of this like oh women are supposed to be this way men are supposed to be this way it's it's very toxic uh, and it's really harmful and hard on those of us who don't really fit in either of those boxes. Um, you know, well, if women are this way and men are this way and I'm neither way, what, where does that leave me? You know, so it's, it's really hard because it's like, you're, you, you just kind of, where's my place? Where do I belong? <laughs> yeah. I know what you mean because, uh, I guess it's, you know, because I understand that it's like almost like, as you say, there's like the overlap between like masking the gender fluidity and masking, you know, the autism side of things. Because I guess, because some, you know, you're both gender fluid and autistic in one person, so there's that real bridge and overlap. So, like, it's kind of like difficult when you got like this social image of like what gender is of what like what you know being a, a woman or like a man so like sometimes I guess by society's norms sometimes can it feel you know boxed into being like certain ways without you know necessarily you know like feeling that too you know like kind of that pressed to socialize so definitely do get that get what you mean by that mm-hmm yeah yeah Quite interesting. So how, how do you think, you know, like, you know, like the social norms around, you know, like gender fluidity and, you know, being a bit more liberal with gender identity linking to being artistic on neurodivergent? Um, you know, I think, like right now, we're starting to see like science is pulling up with studies that are showing that autistic people might potentially be more likely to be gender diverse or trans people might be more likely to be autistic. Um, and I, you know, I've noticed in our community that there are a lot of autistic people who would identify themselves as LGBTQIA, LGBTQ, LGBTQ plus. <laughs> That's a lot of letters. Yeah. Um, 
And it's like, it's hard to say because like correlation doesn't necessarily mean causation. So I want to put that cautionary note yeah. out there. We're starting to see things that are patterns, like a lot of us who have been in the online community have kind of noticed for years, like there's a lot of us that are, you know, LGBTQ plus. Uh, gee, that's interesting. And now science is catching up. And the question is, and I'm not, you know, I don't have the answer to this is, yeah. are there really more of us or are we just more likely to care less what society says about gender roles and sexuality because they're, you know, they're two separate issues and gender norms. And, you know, maybe we are more willing to be open with these things. We're like, cause you know, for me personally, um, I find my life is so much easier if I can just be open and authentic and be an open book you know, and be honest, I rather not have to have a bunch of secrets to keep up with. And I have unfortunately, you know, lived life before, before I was diagnosed and um, where I wasn't living an authentic life. I wasn't living my best life. And, you know, before I came out as gender fluid, uh, I was open with my sexuality that, you know, I don't have a preference for uh, men or women, you know, I was bisexual before I knew that pansexual was a term <laughs> because, you know, I was like, oh, I like everybody. But then I realized, oh, there are more than just two genders. Okay, that's exciting. I like them too. So now it's like, now I say I'm pansexual. But it's like, I've come out of these closets over and over again in my life. And I've already realized from coming out of the, the sexuality closet when I was very young uh, and then coming out autistic, um, and then coming out pansexual that I don't want to live in a closet uh, and I, living in a closet is going to make me miserable. I, and it's like, now that I know like, oh, this is gender fluid. This is what it is. This is totally me. Like, I don't want to go back to denying that because I feel like I'm living inauthentically if I don't admit that now that I know it's a thing, because for a lot of years, I just didn't know it was a thing. Um, but now that I know, I'm like, I can't pretend I don't know you know, and I would yeah. be inauthentic if I kind of buried my head in the sand, so to say, and, and didn't speak up. And now, unfortunately, with political times the way they are, I think it's more important than ever to speak up about these issues. And reluctantly, it's like since opening my mouth in June for Pride Month, it has been become obvious to me that these conversations are really necessary because it's all anyone wants me to talk about. So it's like, okay, I guess we're, we're going to go there, you know, <laughs> because that's, that's what people, I guess, are needing information about because there's not enough out there. So it, it just like with autism, I think it's important that we talk about these issues and they're difficult issues. And it's very personal issues that, you know, for a lot of times I didn't talk about this because I just kind of felt, I was like, this really is nobody's business. You know, it is nobody's business, but I'm willing to share this business because so many people saying, oh, it's nobody's business. You know, maybe if less people did that when I was growing up, I would have heard about this sooner and gone, oh my God, that's me. That's the answer. Instead of kind of wondering and having these questions for so long. Um, and it's the same thing with like learning I was autistic. Like I had to learn and accept it. Oh, I'm autistic. Okay. Like, oh, I'm gender fluid. Okay. Now I can move forward with what that means for me. Yeah, I totally get that, yeah. I do kind of, like, see, I know, like, it is far complex thing, and, you know, like, yeah, it's something that can't have any definitive answers, yes. But I do think, 
Although, you know, if you're autistic, neurodivergent person is different from each other, but I do see that kind of like link that, you know, we tend to like to bridge from the social norms. But as you kind of said, you know, like, as not always been that easy due to the, uh, some of the uh, kind of like gender norms and some of the kind of like environmental issues, well, you know, external issues that kind of made rent masks or gave me mean play. But I definitely see that there is, you know, benefit in having progress from these conversations, as like talking about these encourages more people to open out and actually find their selves and, you know, feel a bit more comfortable in, you know, their selves. So to find a good step forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, th- and that's kind of the point. It's like, you know, you're not alone. And, you know, I learned that through sharing about autism and my autism platform, how helpful it is just for people to know they're not alone. And um, so that, that's kind of what my goal is, too, with sharing this information, too, is you're not alone and there, you know, there's others like you and it's okay. And, you know, you can, you can exist in this world. Yeah. There's room for us all to exist in this world. In a way, you know, we're from what I've seen of you on Twitter and social media, Instagram and whatever. I know you do an excellent job, you know, from what I've seen of you, you know, how influential you are in the community of how you make people feel like they're not alone and it's been like, togetherness and you know like link and collaborate within the community so i see like you the work you're doing there and you know what you managed to do doing so far with that yeah you know i i'm just i'm just doing my best you know and w- when i was when i was diagnosed at the age of 29 um you know i was looking for more information about autism than what i could find when i plugged into google and you know, because the autism search results four years ago, because I've been doing this for about four, or I was diagnosed about four years ago now. So it's been, you know, a little over four years since I was diagnosed autistic. Um, And the results were terrifyingly grim. Like, you know, you got the blue puzzle people and some other really horrible resources that just make it uh, very heavily medicalized, very gloom and doom. Uh, There weren't a lot of autistic perspectives on autism that you could easily find in Google. They were out there, but it took a lot of effort to find. Um, I think there was like a few channels I could find on YouTube. So I watched a lot of YouTube videos uh, and there were books on Amazon. So I, you know, I spent every spare penny I had on Amazon Kindle books and on eBooks to get more information, but it was so hard to find the information. And I had to like save my pennies and buy books to hear from autistic people. And I know also that, you know, a lot of autistic people, we are underemployed or we are unemployed and we don't have spare money to buy all these books if once we're post-diagnosed. And the truth is when we're diagnosed, it's like, oh, you're diagnosed, you're an adult, here you go, Uh, read some literature, you're on your own, good luck, goodbye, go (laughs) figure it out. And it's like, it's like you're left alone to like sort this out. And it really bothered me. Uh, and I didn't, you know, it's the same thing that kind of drives all of this. It's like, I didn't want people to deal with that and go through it alone and not be able to uh, find information that was 
a little more upbeat because that gloom and doom death sentence that it makes it sound like when you find those medicalized websites, you know, we're at this junction when we're diagnosed, whether it's you are diagnosed or discovered because diagnosis really is a privilege right now. It shouldn't be, but yeah. it is. Um, when you're, so we'll say when you're discovered autistic, I like discovered better. Um, or your loved one, say it's a parent and your child, you've discovered your child is autistic. You're at this crossroads and you can go one towards this really gloom and doom narrative, which is easier to find in Google, or you can go towards the acceptance route where you're like, okay, I'm accept I'm autistic or my loved one is autistic. There's a different thinking system they have a different way of doing things but that's okay we're going to support them and help them live their best life and it's okay that they're autistic or everything is horrible because i'm autistic or everything is horrible because my kid's autistic my kid will never because i'm autistic i will never because i'm autistic and you get put in this box this medicalized box and the the, the box isn't fair because the box doesn't respect the fact that every autistic person is different and we all change and we all have different fluctuating functioning throughout our lifetimes where we can take on more or less. Uh, and some of us will be better at certain things than others. And all of us, you know, we have different skills. We have different sensory profiles. There is no one autistic experience. You know, we're different genders, we're different races, uh, but the media, and we're adults, we're adults too, because yeah. the media would have you believe it's just a bunch of little white boys. And maybe, you know, now that we've got like some terrible representation on TV, in my opinion, white guys, older, you know, and they are like the good doctor. I can't watch the good doctor. I, I won't, don't even get me started. But, you know, they, the character just doesn't feel very human to me or very realistic. Yeah, I definitely see what you mean by that. And I definitely agree with that, you know, idea of like, there uh, being like a sort of like a medical box of it because I do find, you know, like since, you know, the conversation being more led by autistic people, as you said, said is still quite new and, you know, like still very much on social media. So like I see how, you know, like people can be pleasant to find you know, stuff on, you know, like a Google search or like whatever to find resources that might not paint the best fixer or the accurate picks and yeah, I still see how much, you know, the medical view of it these days is still problematic as, you know, there's still little understanding of like, given like an hour view of, of what autism is and, you know, like, as you said, that kind of like almost been like a male view of it, which you kind of stated with a good doctor. So yeah, get what you mean by that and it was, Respect your coverage and thinking of like everyone to do something different to what is already out there and actually like lead to the narrative on you know getting autistic people you know talking talking on this you know like seventy experiences. Yeah. And there's a lot more of that going on now. And that's why since the beginning, every time someone else is out there and I, I meet them and I'm like you should start a blog, start a podcast, do it. <laughs> you know, because I think we need more diversity uh, in autistic voices to show that how different our experiences are. I don't want it to just be all me out there. Like, it's great that my page has grown over the past four years and my reach has 
gotten bigger, but it would be really good to see more and more autistic people sharing to really humanize that experience and show how varied and diverse we really are. I think that that would be the, the dream, right? For, because people don't see it as, they don't see it as a very human experience. You know, we're, we're, we're just medicalized all the time. Yeah. I know, Amelia, it's like, so, you know, like, kind of broad, you know, what autism is, and, you know, like, the complexity of it. So, I you know, I mean, we've got more voices talking and more autistic people talking, different representations of different experiences. I agree with you, Billy, of how it kind of gives a big, big picture of showing what autism is, really. Eh? And I would definitely say, yeah, like, seem like stuff that you have done yourself and a visit doing online and that, you know, kind of inspired me to, like, start this blog, start a podcast and come to it because, like, I feel recently still in that kind of, like, even though I've been diagnosed for a while or, as you said, discovered, but it's like I'm still finding it, like, only recently in recent years, you know, like, kind of, like, bridging out into, like, since becoming a, more of an adult, you know, of finding out for myself what that means. So, yeah, I find, like, social media and, like, creating a platform like this has definitely been helpful for that. Yeah, and it's really, you know, I think for me, before I started really blogging even, I kind of got on Twitter and just started tiptoeing into, you know, the online autistic community. Uh, and just learning so much. It was like, wow, you know, there are so many things that a lot of us have in common, but then there, the differences are also, um, you know, just as valid. Uh, and getting to, you know, meet other autistic people then eventually once, you know, not now because of COVID, but, you know, once mm -hmm. I started hopping on planes and traveling to conferences and going to speak and getting to meet other autistic people, it is just the most magical experience to have that sense of community because it's like you get in a room with other autistic people and like some of them, even if you've never met them, it's just like, wow, it feels like we've known each other forever or we really seem to communicate really well with each other. Maybe I'm not a bad communicator, right? Yeah. It's like, maybe it's the, maybe it's all them. Maybe it's not my fault that I'm autistic. <laughs> it changes your thinking once you, uh, go to a group like or you're in a conference where neurotypicals are the minority that's funny you know it's interesting because it, the dynamics totally change yeah yeah it's like what i've been finding on social media and uh, like they went on online and starting these uh, podcast chats and interviews i've you know found just quite quite interesting to so like how much actually like oh yeah that's totally me and seeing like similarities and differences that, you know, like, I would maybe not never thought of as being, you know, like, part of my autism and stuff like that. So, yeah, it kind of gives you, like, a feeling of, yeah, this is totally me, and what do you mean by that? Yeah, it's, it's really, it's really good. And it's like, I wish everybody could have that, that community, that experience. Yeah. And I think that's something that that's another privilege I've had because of just what happened with my social media in the last four years. Uh, and so it's like, I'm trying to take the best pieces of that and what I'm learning from that experience and at least try and share that with the world or try and help other people find community through my page as well. Uh, 
because there aren't a lot of places we can find community. And now that COVID's happening, like nobody's finding community in person, yeah. even the neurotypicals are searching for community online. Yeah, it's like I definitely know, I mean, I find, yeah, like social media and online is definitely a great platform to build that community and, you know, finding that, that space within it. And I definitely did a be and thought to myself, yeah, it's a privilege because you're not, you know, like, if you're like, have a diagnosis medical when yourself, as you said, really that's a privilege. But it's like, even if you do have, it's like still a struggle then to like find that community and find a space for you in that and see if you're like self, self-diagnosed or, and, you know, like, or like trying to find it out, like, if you are autistic in that sense. So yeah, I definitely do know what you mean because it's so still quite new in a way that, you know, putting this autistic community going out. Uh, it's still a great privilege to actually be find your space and connect in, in it, I guess. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. Oh. All right, so I would say, I would ask also, what was the most valuable thing you learned uh, since you became, became an advocate and creating a the new rebel, you know, uh, social media accounts and uh, online blogs. I think the biggest benefit for me personally has been the rehealing of my own self-esteem, because when I started my blog, hey puppy dog, not right now. Uh, when I started my blog, I was really struggling with my anxiety and my mental health, and I wasn't living my best, most authentic life at all. I had been living the life that I was thought I was supposed to live versus the life that I actually wanted. Um, and what's really, I don't know, shocking to me for some reason is my readers and my, my viewers seem to really love me for who I am and they love my honesty and they allow me to be authentic. Uh, and I, I don't have to be someone else, you know, and I just come as I am. I share what's on my mind. Uh, and I've not always had that kind of support in my life. And, you know, over the last four years, I, I've been, you know, relearning who I am all, all over again, returning to who I was supposed to be. Uh, and, you know, my anxiety and mental health, I think, are better than they've ever been in my entire life. And I really think authenticity and rediscovering myself, which wouldn't I wouldn't have done without the blog and, you know, the viewers, I'm so grateful for that, has been a huge, huge part in that. Yeah, totally know what you mean because yeah, definitely like you know, like like a but say like you ago definitely I found both like struggle with like the anxiety type of things, you know, like struggling to like mask or no like or really like no how to like you know, like change or move on to the next step after like finishing sixth form to like was supposed to be heading to university and finding quite no one ever fit into that space. So we definitely have found a value in like, you know, trying to like be a bit more open with what this means for me because I know like, especially like after like this coronavirus period, it does definitely give that period to actually kind of like take a break and think, you know, like how, you know, like meant to be open and find, you know, like autistic self a bit more and start and mask it a bit, yeah. Yeah, 
No, for sure. And I think a lot of people online said, you know, they have similar experiences too, but it can be hard because, you know, when you've been masking for so long, you can lose sight of where the mask uh, ends and where you begin, like how much of it is you and how much of it is, is what, you know, society, what you, you thought society needed you to be. Yeah, I definitely see that, don't they? And I think, uh, as you said, you know, like it kind of links into like also the mask with gender fluidity. So yeah, it kind of kind of bids us in similar ways, I guess. Yeah, it's a big continuous loop. It's a big knot, you know, yeah. like a big knot, or like a bunch of Christmas lights you've got to untangle, right? When, yeah. when you've you've realized there's a mess you've created. And you didn't even realize you were creating the mess, you know, over the years you were like tangling, yeah. tangling and making a mess. And then it's like, all of a sudden you realize, oh, I've got this big mess that I've got to sort out. And yeah. it's like, you know, one little knot at a time, you're going back and unmasking and rediscovering things. Yeah, definitely you don't think that, the, you know, the metaphor, you know, of knots is because sometimes, you know, like, you kind of do feel like you're not when you're like anxious or nervous, yeah, because like that kind of internal feeling. So yeah, I think that kind of fits on, fits in with it. So have a look at the other questions. I could talk talk about uh, or saying what what advice would you like say or like would like to give to others who are still on the path of finding their own identity whether it's been like finding their own artistic identity, their own identity within the LGBTQIA plus community. Yeah, I would say, you know, earlier I was talking about closets. So whenever you come out of any closet, be it with your sexuality or gender or neurodivergence, you're going to lose people. And there are going to be people in your life who just don't get it or they're at a place in their lives where they are not ready to accept what you are trying to share with them um and be ready for that it's going to be painful uh and it, you know it it hurts and you know when it happens you're going to have a choice where you can either hide yourself in front of that person or let them go and that choice is up to you uh and both of those options when you encounter people like that are um they're both painful for different reasons, but you know, that that's a reality you're going to face that some people just aren't going to understand what you're trying to share with them. And they may come back later in the future, uh, you know, maybe weeks or days or years later, um, or they may, they may be gone from your life forever, or they just may never be able to understand. Uh, and that kind of sucks. But you know, there are also lots of people out there who will be your people, who will love you for you, who will accept you for who you are, and will be, you know, will, will be receptive. Oh, I've got a very angry puppy dog right now. He wants yeah. me to let him out. <laughs> That's quite honest advice, yeah, and quite good advice, yeah, because, yeah, sometimes, yeah, there is, like, that feeling, like, you know, some will understand some mountain, yeah, I guess, like, maybe, like, find the path in the future, like, you know, like, kind of, like, give the time and, you know, like, kind of, like, be patient with yourself, I guess, on that point. Yeah, and, you know, like, yeah. it's a, like, hard thing to deal with, and, yeah, I think uh, what you said was quite excellent to face. And, and so, I also went to ask, how, how did you find out that you were autistic? 
Yeah, so I, I was actually, at the, before my diagnosis, I was suffering from autistic burnout and I didn't have any accommodations in place at my workplace. And I was actually starting to get really sick. I was having severe sensory and other neurological symptoms. And really I was wasting away physically. I was, I was making myself sick. I was pushing myself too hard to conform to neurotypical standards. Uh, and I accidentally came across a book that was written by an autistic person. And after reading how they described the way their brain worked, I was shocked to see, you know, like it felt like they were typing out my own experience in that book. Uh, and it, I had to learn more. So I, d I dug a little bit more and learned a little bit more from a few autistic people that I could find. Uh, and then I went to my GP because we've been going back and forth on this like mystery sickness that they couldn't get to the bottom of. Um, and, you know, they, they referred me to someone for mental health and anxiety because she was like, I just think you have anxiety. And I was like, well, can I see someone that also knows autism if we're going to go to, you know, a, someone who deals with mental health? And, and, you know, they were like, oh, I don't, I really don't think you're autistic, but yeah, here's a card for the local autism society. Uh, and so I, I contact them and found someone who had experience diagnosing adults. Uh, and at the age of 29, I finally, you know, received that autism diagnosis, that late, late diagnosis that I wish I could have known sooner, but, you know, coulda, shoulda, woulda. And I finally started getting myself on that path uh, and getting my life back on track. Yeah, definitely. No, I mean, yeah, it's like, guess, you know, I do definitely see that it's quite like a delay for most people receiving a diagnosis. And there's like, um, like I've late 20s or like even later than that. So, yeah, there's definitely that uh, struggle of getting a diagnosis. So, uh, do you remember the book you were talking about? Oh, I don't remember the exact title. So I was at the time I was studying animal and dog psychology. So it was a Temple Grandin book, but I don't know which one it was oh. because I was reading basically anything I could read about animal behavior and animal psychology. Um, I was working a full-time job and I also had my own, uh, like I was doing dog training as a business on the side. Um, but there were difficulties related to being autistic with both of those things where I was kind of working against myself instead of working with myself uh, that made kind of both of those things difficult for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I understand that. And so I would say, I would also ask, you know, interesting question. What was like the greatest challenge in terms of like, if is, you know, being autistic that you have to overcome you know, and any tips like, you know, like for people who have any of autistic people who think to any challenges with that? Mm, I think it's a hard one. Um, I think there's, there's probably a better answer than what's coming to mind today, but I think one of the hardest things I learned personally was like learning to drive. Like that was very hard for me. Uh, because of my sensory processing difficulties and because kind of a little bit of my anxious nature, uh, driving is really difficult and it's always been difficult and I still drive. And now that I can drive, I kind of avoid it when I can, unless I'm going to go for a drive in the country roads out in the middle of nowhere. Cause those are, that's relaxing. I love to put my music on and roll the windows down and cruise down the country roads where there's nobody around. That's great. Um, but I, I still wouldn't call myself a good driver. I would say I'm an acceptable driver. I get by, you know, 
I'm not a great driver, uh, but you know, with enough planning and GPS and taking my time, I, I do okay in the small towns and the familiar locations, but big city driving and traffic, that's still hard for me, but I can do it. And uh, I like to drive alone without other people in the car. That helps too, not having distractions. Yeah. Uh, controlling the environment, you know, making sure I'm I like leave early to get places. Um, driving was hard for me, but it's like we live in a rural area and a lot of the jobs are in the city. Public transit is not acceptable here. So it's like you, you have to learn to drive really, you know, depending on where you live because otherwise you can't get to work. Yeah, I suppose, uh, you know, uh, how much, uh, you know, learning to drive is quite difficult for many neurodivergents and something I haven't tried yet myself and I know being dyspraxic myself and autistic so I will definitely present uh, quite a few challenges but uh, if I did ever try. Yeah, and it's like, we're all gonna have, you know, like we're saying that diverse experience is like, there's different challenges for each of us. You know, we've all got different things that are gonna be hard. There are other autistic people I know who they say, oh, I'm an excellent driver. I'm a great driver. Driving is so easy for me. And I'm like, yeah, that's not my wheelhouse, but it's more power to them, you know, for having that skill. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's very different for, for all of us. Yeah, no, I mean, it's kind of like that whole point of how, how you know, it's kind of like a complex and how, you know, it's like it, it doesn't present in one singular way and it's, you know, like being autistic, you know, like affects everyone so differently. So, yeah, I think it kind of emphasizes that, that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and what, 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 in like the, but what things would you say you learned about yourself since uh, diagnosis? Um, you know, well, do you do you know the old story of the ugly duckling? Oh yeah. Nursery rhyme, you know, that little duckling not knowing he was a perfectly normal swan, the poor poor duckling. You know, I I feel like my my diagnosis, my late discovery. Uh, that, that's kind of what this whole thing has been like with me. You know, I learned I'm, I'm not broken. I'm not a freak. I'm not a failed version of a non-autistic person. I, I just do things differently. And what I have learned over the past four years since discovering I was autistic is that when I work with myself and I work in the way that my mind wants to work, instead of, you know, working against myself and working the way everyone else thinks they need to work, um, I can, I can actually do some kind of amazing things. And it's funny because, you know, after I was diagnosed, I was talking to one of my friends who was a close friend of mine all the way from like preschool. Like when we were like, we started school together, like a private Montessori school when we were like two. So we were little together all the way up through like up to kindergarten. Then we went to public school. And so she was with me when I was very little. And even in public school, when we went to public school, I think up until like second or third grade, like we were in the same school. Um, and, you know, she's one of the people that when I told about my diagnosis, like some people, like I said, are not going to accept it. They won't understand because they see you the same. And then you tell them you're autistic and they're like, but you're the same person. I don't get it. How are you autistic now? Like they can't fathom it yeah. until they readjust what autism is. But this friend, I told her and she goes, oh my God, everything makes sense. Like to her who had seen me my whole life since I was little, it was like, oh, of course. And the other thing that she said was, you know, I remember when you were younger and you used to be where you couldn't do anything. 
you, know, you couldn't do anything. And now you're so good at like everything you put your mind to. And the difference in that really is the mind shift because when I was little and when I was younger, I didn't believe in myself. I didn't believe I could do anything. And as I've grown older and now again, since being diagnosed, I've learned to believe in myself again, or actually, you know, I've learned to believe in myself because when I was little, I really didn't ever believe in myself. So I've learned to believe in myself and that has helped me move forward. And I've also learned that, you know, even if it's going to take me longer to learn something or master something, eventually I will master it. And I might be better at that skill than everyone else around me when I finally do master it. You just got to give me time to do that, get there. And I, you know, I'm not ever going to compare myself to other people anymore. I'm just trying to do my best and be my best version of myself and to heck with other people and what they think, you know, I'm just trying to do my personal best and then always out trying to outdo my own personal best i'm not in com competition with anyone else i am only in competition with myself it's like i'm trying to do better than i did yesterday and that's it that's all i can do and that was like the biggest um shift i think that has been really important to my life so i guess yeah it's seen to be like positive shift i guess of like learning how your own mind works and kind of almost like learning how to work with your own mind and yeah, seemed like that kind of clicked in a bit better after your own diagnosis and yeah, it's quite a difficult thing to get get through that phase because I guess, because sometimes you know like can have periods of anxiety and depression and you know like, it's, you know like really shift to the moods but yeah, you know I mean you kind of do click and learn how to like value your mind and like the way it works. Yeah, and it's hard because society kind of tells you not to. Yeah, I totally see that and get that, yeah. So, uh, so, um, and, uh, and, uh, what would you say that if, like, would could one thing make one thing about the world more artistic, uh, uh, accessible for artistic people? What would that be? You know, I wish employment's a big thing. You know, I said earlier, a lot of autistic people are either under or unemployed, and it would be great if more employers would be willing to accommodate all employee needs, whether or not they have a medical diagnosis uh, when they on file to request accommodations for work. Because, you know, if someone says, comes to you and says, oh, I need blank to do my job better, as long as it's not a hardship to the company, why not give that person the tool they need to be successful? You know, right now, many of us have been told we can't get the help we need without a diagnosis. Um, and the diagnosis is still a privilege. And then some of us, like I've even had the diagnosis and gone to ask for accommodations in certain workplaces and not been able to get them because people said, oh, well, everybody would like that. Uh, and then there's the problem with people who don't know they're autistic because I didn't know I was autistic for almost 30 years. Yeah, definitely, you know, think that is a quite valuable thing yeah, if that companies said to one workplaces or two. And I think that thing kind of works for all neurodivergent conditions because like I said, because you know, like as you say, your diagnosis is a privilege, as you say that, you know, like there's quite like a very, you know, like, you know, gap between like those who could be, 
you know, neurodivergent and those who have a diagnosis. So I think, yeah, that there would be value in kind of helping employees and people in the workplace with that. Yeah, so we have all you said for that. Mm-hmm. We've got a lot of work to do, but it's getting better. Yeah, yeah no, it's quite a thing to be optimistic about. And what, what would you like to see to, done to enhance the rights and protect the rights of non-binary and gender-fluid people, gender-fluidity? I think we've got a lot of work to do on that one. Yeah, Gosh, definitely. We have a, a lot of work because, you know, right now there's still so much of like people saying, oh, that's not even a real thing. That's not even a real identity. Where like sometimes when you say oh, I'm autistic, people are like autism isn't real. It's just kids need more spankings, which is totally not true. But you hear that less and less now. Like that's, yeah. but I heard that a lot more four years ago even than I hear now. Um, and 10 years ago, I'm sure we heard it even more. Um, so people don't even think non-binary is a thing, which is annoying. Even in the gay community and the LGBTQ community, like people sometimes are not supportive. Uh, and so it would be, you know, helpful to see more recognition of non-binary identities on like government levels, federal levels on, you know, and right now, you know, in most states, you can't even get an ID that says anything other than M or F. Yeah, no, yeah, it is like seeming like after starting point or like the scraping off like finding, you know, how to like, uh, recognize you know non-binary and gender fluidity yeah so i think i think you know as i say you know it's like sense of optimism but yeah real lot of work to do but i think like i think much change will be seen if like we see like i said politicians or like people in power you know like who are non-binary or gender fluid themselves yeah, and we, we it, I think we're a long way off of that. It's like, yeah. it, it, if you look up, you know, gender fluid celebrities, I don't even think you'll get very many. Like, people aren't talking about this, like, even, you know. Yeah. There's Ruby Rose, and I don't know if there's anyone else I could think of off the top of my head who's, like, openly saying, yeah, I'm gender fluid. Yeah, there's, they, a, there's a few. I can think of a few, like, YouTubers, but, you know, that's a little bit niche, a social media yeah. person. Yeah, it's like the only real celebrity person I can think of is, like Sam Smith, uh, the singer-songwriter, and... Uh, cool. Yeah. That's um, cool, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they are, yeah, you know, they, they uh, you know, been out for a couple of years, yeah. so, uh, yeah, and, yeah, you know, I mean, you know, like, it is a long way off, you know, for, for many years to, to come to actually see much change to around that. So, yeah, see what you mean, I'm totally agree with what you said on that. And so, like, and what, and interesting point to ask, what do you see as an um, artistic culture and what do you see as one of the main points are that we are, like, kind of, like, diverge from the social norms? Uh, you know, believe it or not, I've actually even seen people argue that autistic culture doesn't exist. So I need to read a definition of culture, <laughs> the word culture, before, before I even continue because, you know, culture is defined as the customs, art, social institutions, and achievements of a particular nation, people, or other social group. So autistic people definitely have a culture, I will say, you know, that, but 
not all autistic people get to be included in autistic culture because some of us don't have access to that community that we were saying is a huge privilege. Um, but I think, and I think a lot of autistic culture as we know it, as you and I know it from the internet has kind of grown around social media and TikTok and Twitter and um, you know, the, this platform is how autistic people are connecting online because we've been isolated since before COVID. Uh, and to me, autistic culture is actually autistic Twitter, neurodiversity, autistic pride, it's stemming, it's autistic interests, it's hyper-focused, it's, it's comfort of it, objects, but it's really so much more. It's all of the different autistic people that are in that community online. And, you know, I think our culture is really complicated and nuanced and often unfortunately it's been influenced by uh traumatic life experiences that come from living in a world that doesn't understand you so we've got all of these fun and happy things but we've also got uh, unfortunately a lot of shared trauma as well uh and so that that makes it really difficult yeah, i definitely agree with that because uh, you know as i said it's much complex thing you know as you said there's kind of like two sides to it as you said like the you know like the you know, like joy of like stimming special interests that uh, you know, like social media connects and as you said, but there's like the other side of like the trauma. So yeah, I know you I mean it's a quite complex thing and not many not everyone has the access to that thing, yeah. So I think that is quite a good definition of that and I would agree to that as the definition of it. And so like uh, finally, finally, I want to ask you about your own special interests and what is your favourite thing about being autistic? Oh, the fun question. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, and I love, I, I think my favourite thing might be that I have these deep interests, but I think my special interests have always, you know, been like, right now they include writing and art. Hey, buddy, hang on, this one more question and then you can go, hang on, come here, come here, come here, come here and hush for a minute. It's okay, it's okay. One more question. One more, okay? He really wants to go outside. <laughs> so my special interests right now include writing and art. I really have always liked to create things. And I, I love being autistic and that it in, enables me to hyper-focus on topics that do catch my interest. Uh, and that can let me become an expert in things that you know, neurotypical people can struggle with, even if, you know, I sometimes struggle with things that non-autistic people find um, simple. Uh, I love that I, I have that difference, believe it or not, because I've learned that that is also where my strengths come from, as well as my weaknesses. It's a two-sided coin. Yeah, I definitely do find, you know, like, yeah, like, you know, and, you know, that creative aspect is such a positive about being autistic and they don't definitely say that. And I do find this whole pandemic and being under lockdown at the moment has definitely given us space to actually can enjoy those, like, special interests. So I do find it, as I said, to side coin, but one of the best things about being autistic are kind of, like, in, you know, different creativity, I guess. Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> He's really like, okay, yeah. come on. <laughs> yeah. Excellent point, yeah. I totally agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. Uh, were, were there, did you have any other questions? Were there more I questions? 
I think that this is pretty much what, what we uh, had uh, planned for the list of questions because we kind of like drafted roughly 10. So uh, is there anything else when I say on the, the topic or anything else to add to this? No, I, you know, I think you, you've really let me info dump here. Thank you yeah. for that. It's always so much fun. Hey, buddy. Hey. Um, but, you know, I think it's just finding that authenticity um, and find your people. You know, if people say you are too much, those are not your people. And, and that's just something important to realize. Yeah, I mean, you've been great on this because I uh, play up and for them because, you know, like, I think, you know, it would be great for this podcast to have a space where people can say openly about their own feelings, experiences, or whatever, you know, like, from their own angle and aspect, own, you know, individual. So I think uh, it be the way you infodumped here. I got, had plenty of points to say on it, plenty of excellent points. Anything else you want to promote or, like, you know, like, say any they can find you on it, you know? Um, so I, as of this week, officially have started uh, consulting on my own again. Uh, I am as an independent contractor. I was consulting and doing training full-time uh, in the organization, and now I'm doing that on my own. So I'm still working with businesses to do training on autism and neurodiversity, and I'm also going to start taking on a very limited number of one-to-one -one coaching clients this fall. So that'll be exciting. Uh, information about that will be at neurodivergentconsulting.org. Ah, oh, sounds exciting. Yeah, been an excellent guest and thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. As I wanted to say, I wanted to thank Krista Holmans for coming on this podcast. You can find their social media on most platforms like Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. You can find them at Nero Rebel. You can find their blogs via via those social media pl platforms as well as their consultancy as they described in the podcast interview. As said, yeah, you can find uh, them on, uh, you know, different platforms. And also, said, went to say, you know, like, you know, a bit of like, bear with me because I'm a bit new to doing Zoom calls and speaking on this podcast. As I noticed, when listening back to the Zoom call recording with Krista, I noticed how much Gabe uh, flustered and stumbled with words as it's kind of like a pretty new thing to me to do Zoom calls, especially with somebody I don't quite not know and to be able to plan what words I want to say and to be able to get them out is sometimes quite a challenge for me, especially sometimes with anxiety type of things or generally because, as I, you know, like you might understand structure and sentences and be able to, you know, speak them out uh, can be quite a challenging thing for uh, autistic people, just, just being dyspraxic and having some visual processing difficulties. The side of visual processing difficulties can affect us, as in I, I tend to like prefer to write notes and 
Alex went out what he went to say on each episode of the podcast, which kind of helps with the direction of where this is going, and which is quite helpful for when producing, you know, written back notes of the podcast and episodes. I know, like, I haven't been able to get around to doing set the right written notes of Sarah Boone's interview podcast, which I'm hoping to get around to doing soon as I've been below with energy right, recently, but getting back to it, I said, so, like, sometimes can be, like, a bit difficult to read off the script I type out, to, but, like, I originally typed out on written documents, and like if a bit of like a gap between each line, but kept that small font. But now, like I uh, got a on my iPad at like a size eighteen font, which is quite big. But I find it then quite easy to read off because sometimes you know, like it can be a bit struggle to concentrate on that. But I'm look been looking to talk about in a bonus episode on dyspraxia. The bits I'll tell you a bit more about at the end of the podcast, but right now I want to focus on other features that is Stim Pride Showcase. As I said, a uh, fan from Stimology, a new startup with um, creating the products and producing products on their service, selling Stim and Sensory Aids for people uh, with or autistic people or people with ADHD, she's pregnant with that uh, business, something she's running out of the UK and she'll be talking on you in a moment. Like myself, she had a bit of like challenge in trying to find, find the words and structure and get quite used to what, seeing what she wants to say on the podcast. But I've, I want to thank her for sharing so far in the this uh, podcast series and it was great to be able to get her on to talk about a new 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 divergent startup. Okay, so first of all I'd like to say thank you for Aaron uh, for inviting me to speak a bit about stimming on this podcast. Um, I'm Fen and I am starting a website for UK fidgets uh, called stimology uk uh, you can find me on instagram at stimology uk um, and we're launching in september at the end of september uh, what we do is we sell fidgets and sensory toys but for adults um, this is because right pause it's so Stimology will be selling fidgets and sensory items for mainly adults in the UK because these things can be quite hard to get track of. It can be hard to know what they're called. It can be hard to know what works for you. Um, and I know that since I've been diagnosed last year, I've been trying to explore more sensory toys and it's actually quite hard. So hopefully epistemology can help some people find the toys and gadgets that work for them better, then I think I'll be pretty happy with that.
Okay, I'm going to pause again. <laughs> right, so stimming is described as sensory regulation behavior. So the DATS one official definition of that. But in essence, what that means is it's anything sensory you do that helps you feel more comfortable. So if you're someone who's autistic, your sensory needs are different. So um, there's a variety of different senses you might use um, to calm yourself with. For example, rocking around. Um, so rocking back and forth. Uh, that's actually to do with the proprioception sense, which is the sense of where your body is. That's also what weighted blankets are helpful with. Um, I don't tend to do too much of that. Um, so yeah, another thing I want to talk about is... Aaron hasn't given me a length of time for this. So, <laughs> um, so what I wanted to say was different kinds of sensory um, stimulation can be more or less subtle. So something I've noticed since having my diagnosis, I'm more likely to fidget in different ways. Like I'm more likely to twiddle my hair uh, between my fingers rather than just pretend to be distracted by my split ends. Because that is something I'm doing purely to feel a bit more grounded. If I'm pulling up my hair, then I just feel a little bit more calm. Um, I'm more likely to flap my hands out of boredom or excitement than trying to hide it. Um, because now I know that that's okay. It's not something that I'm doing that's weird. It's just something that I get more out of someone who's neurotypical. But stimming's definitely something that's definitely something that you do subconsciously or at least semi-consciously. I'm pretty much always, you know, playing with my hair or playing with my nail polish or running my hand along my arm or twisting my legs together so that they're nice and you can feel the pressure. You know, if, or sitting in a strange way so that you can feel the way that you're balancing against your chair. All of that is stimming. Some of it's more noticeable than others. And even if you're doing it, you might not notice it yourself. But it's important, I think, to notice when you're stimming. Because it can show that if you're like feeling anxious, then you probably are going to be stimming more. Uh, whereas you can stim out of joy or you can stim out of anxiety. So it's good to pay attention to what's making you fidgety and whether you need to maybe take some time out, properly relax, or whether you're just doing it because you're comfortable and feeling happy. Um... I personally think it's something that's a really big part of unmasking is learning to be okay with what you naturally want to do and what naturally makes you feel comfortable uh, with your senses. Even say that stimming can be something like dancing. If you're 
bouncing around. It's kind of, you know, it's emotional, it's sensory, it makes you feel good to express how you feel. You know, that's a good um, sort of example, or I guess it's an example. I don't know. <laughs> maybe that's nothing. Maybe maybe dancing isn't isn't a lot like stimming, but to me that's it's almost like a more extreme version. It's an emotional feeling that makes you react in a sensory and physical way and you'd feel weird if someone stopped you from doing it because it's what feels natural to you um so yeah um please check out stomology we are live on the 21st of september and if you sign up now at www.stomology.co.uk you can get a 10 percent off bonus subscriber discount i'm also hoping to announce a competition so keep your eyes peeled on the instagram page thank you very much aaron and i hope this is okay and you can let me know if you need to re-edit this thanks uh, i've been fen thank you very much for listening to my section thanks thanks for fen for coming on the podcast to talk about Stimming onto a new stim pipe. Well, stimming business basically sells stimming products in a startup business that you can find. Now on Instagram, Stimology. You can also find it on Twitter, where she gives links for her website, which is launched now in the UK. At the time of recording the clips, she was yet to record the business since it's now. October when this is going out, she has now been able to launch her business. So if you can find Stimology on Instagram and Twitter, you can find out how to buy the, the Stimming products that she sells there. And also, she's been a keen supporter of the Stimpite so Sunday hashtag which I've launched on Twitter and Instagram, supporting stimming. You can find it on on my Instagram and Twitter accounts for new for any new news. So I thought before I get uh, wrap this up, wrap this episode up of the new. The new cast podcast by me, Autistically Aaron. I thought I'd give you a teaser for the episode that I'm planning to record and drop sometime this week on Dyspraxia. In this episode coming up on Dyspraxia, you're going to hear me chat about the different traits that can affect a, per- a dyspraxic person. So I'll be talking about the different traits that I have as a dyspraxic person, but some of the different traits somebody else with dyspraxia has, as it is quite a complex condition that can affect each person, each dyspraxic person differently. So I'll be talk, as I said, be talking about the different traits, the different skills that this condition affects and have an effect on a practice practical skills so we'll be able to talk giving you a definition of dyspraxia or it affects 
coordination, motor planning, as goals and finding motor skills. I'll be list, listing different traits so you can find in adulthood with dyspraxia and also childhood with dyspraxia. And also be looking at, at talking about the different things that the dyspraxia community have been plan, planning and doing with, with Dyspraxia Awareness Week this year. Also be looking at different dyspraxics out there who have already done different stuff out there, including talking about different uh, pe- people of interest and different public people who have got who have spoken out as being dyspraxic themselves. So look forward to look for that soon in your podcast feed. So to wrap up, like I always do, or like I will be doing each week on a podcast from now on, like you heard last week on a podcast, this week it's time to head to the new names desk with me, Autistically Aaron, Aaron Williams, presenting the news from the neurodivergent community. So this week, I have to thank uh, 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 Billy from Dyspraxic Help for you for giving me a shout out on his podcast. This week on his podcast, he has many things planned for Dyspraxia Awareness Week. You can find the Dyspraxia Awareness Week podcast now on whatever podcasting platform that you're listening to this one, where he has chatted to multiple different people, like uh, a comedian and different singer-songwriters who have got dyspraxia themselves. I would like to note in this new names desk edition that this month, October, marks uh, ADHD Awareness Month as well as Dyslexia Awareness Month and Awareness Week and Awareness Day happening this month, also as Black History Month. In this podcast this month, I'll be highlighting those different things as well as those uh, different neurodivergent conditions on this podcast. But back to talk about Dyspraxia Awareness Week. This week, on the new names desk, I want to highlight that there's a new uh, charity single for, called Dyspraxia Reads, uh, which can stream now on Amazon Music as well as Apple Music, raising money for a organisation called Equipped for Learning, a new charity set up to provide special stylist equipment to children and young adults in the West Yorkshire region to access their education that they, as a neurodivergent person, needs and requires certain regional uh, reasonable adjustments in enable to access their education. But back to talk about Dyspraxia Awareness Week. This week on the new names desk, I want to highlight that is a new uh, charity single for, called Dyspraxia Rears, uh, which can stream now on Amazon Music as well as Apple Music, raising money for 
a organization called Equipped for Learning, a new charity set up to provide special stylist equipment to children and young adults in the West Yorkshire region to access their education that they as a neurodivergent person needs and requires certain regional uh, reasonable adjustments in enable to access their education. Recently, Billy from Dyspraxic Help for You has uh, been able to arrange this international uh, Twitter account for the brand Dyspraxic Help for You with a Twitter account for those in Canada, Ireland and America uh, set up the the um, Canadian one is set up even by Rosemary May Richards, a freelance content marketing and consultant, writer and editing, editor, uh, who has who's been working on her own memoir even uh, on, on living with a disability and dyspraxia. So she'll be on this podcast in the next episode and in the week chatting about dyspraxia. She's recorded something special for the podcast that you'll be able to look out for on your podcast and feeds coming shortly. And that concludes this week's New News Desk. Thanks you for tuning in to this week's edition of Neurocast by me, Autistically Aaron. I hope you enjoyed this week's trip into the world of neurodivergency and hopefully neurosquadcasters you'll tune in again to listen to the podcast. Listen back on your podcasting platforms, read and review us, share so we can, so we can grow this platform. Thanks you for tuning in. Bye.